Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 222. Hello, hello, and welcome to Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we take the stale bread that is America, we dip it in the light egg wash of democracy, encrust it with pecans and cinnamon and a dash of mail-in ballots, and fry it up till it turns into a French toast that is fit for a queen, or rather, some sort of head of state that is not monarchical. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and I feel that frisson of excitement in the air, a, a, a little bit of fear, but mostly excitement because motherfuckers, we're doing it, right? The elections are happening. People in parts of the country are, are voting. They're voting. It has already started. Ballots are out. People are sharpening their ballpoint pens. Democracy is in, is in action. It's so exciting. And today we're going to talk about the elections. We'll also talk about the confirmation hearings in which Amy Coney Barrett is perfectly open and transparent about her views. And the SATs. Are they one of education's great failures? Or should I be asking a less um, clickbaity question? Okay, folks, I'm so excited by this panel. This is a really great panel. Um, we have joining us, uh, joining us as he's done before many times, an, uh, an alum of the show, a beloved alum of the show. He's done so much radio and podcasting that I've enjoyed over the years. He is host of This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. Folks, it's Jody Avergan. Hey, Jody. 
Hey there. Are we expected to do all of our metaphors as brunch metaphors throughout the rest of the show? Yes, that is an expectation. I okay. hope you saw that in the email. Okay. Pancakes, French toast, etc. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this next gentleman has been with us on the show before. We love him so much. I've enjoyed seeing him do live performances in New York City. Um, and you can actually now see him do several 90-minute stand-up live stream shows. He does them on Zoom every week, and most shows are just a dollar. Um, and you can actually find information about those shows at judahfriedlander.com. Uh, and on Twitter and on Instagram at Judah World Champ, because folks, it's Judah Friedlander. Hey, Judah. Hello. It is a pleasure. Thank you. And I actually don't want to forget to mention that you have um, a special on Netflix uh, called America is the Greatest Country in the United States. Um, it's it's one of my favorite specials on Netflix. So you people should absolutely be watching and rewatching that as I have done. Um, folks, topic number one, Amy Coney Barrett is enduring a Senate confirmation this week as we tape. She's on day three of admit you've ever had an opinion 2020. Um, so let's just start with a softball (laughs) as most (laughs) of my questions are. What do you think of her? How's she doing? Um, I honestly have not much of an opinion and don't really spend too much time thinking about her um you know about her i think about how we got to this moment <laughs> which we'll talk about um and that's where sort of my mental energy is but as um she is what you would expect i mean she is uh, saying all the things that you would expect she is filling a slot that you would expect um trump and the republicans to push through um you know and uh i think she's you know we can get into some of the specifics of how she's evaded and and given answers to some questions and not to others, but um, you know, as a performance, it is pretty standard. Um, it's it's kind of amazing to say that the first three days of the hearings have been the most normal thing in all of the things around her nomination, but they kind of they kind of have. They're sort of pro forma. Judah, what do you think? Well, I've just been appreciating the uh, the diversity that fascism is bringing. Um, <laughs> you know, w- women women aren't always brought into the. Yes. Uh, uh, the uh, the uh, installing of uh, fascism and uh, it's it's a beautiful uh-huh. thing to see. It really no. is. <laughs> um. I mean, okay, like we we can talk about. Well, let's let's talk about this person as just mm-hmm. like a, an interesting kind of Christian icon because, and then we'll talk about how we got to this point. But like as a, per, I mean. I think she's an, such an interesting person. She's the mother of seven. She's adopted a couple of those kids. Um, you know, she's just like, um, you know, sort of an outstanding uh, citizen and and professor and neighbor and all of those things, right? Um, she's very religious. Um, and it's interesting because I think there's like this line of argumentation that uh, – that someone that there may be a problem with her Catholicism, although I think that's really hilarious because Joe Biden is also Catholic, so I don't really understand where that's coming from. But I, um, you know, I I don't I, I I you know I think that's great. She's a pillar of the community. That seems great. But what's also interesting about her, and you know, we sort of saw this in one of the pieces um, in the Times, is that she's not uh, really you know she. It's interesting that she's this Christian woman that's being nominated for the Supreme Court. Um, Not many Christian women actually end up achieving what she has achieved. 
um, you know, evangelicals and whatnot at that level. And I thought that, and I think that's really interesting that she has, and that maybe we could see more from, 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 uh, women, from evangelical Christian women. Sorry, I'm looking for, oh yeah, we read a piece by Kat, by Caitlin Beatty called Why Only Coney Barrett Gets to Have It All. And, you know, this writer had done a bunch of research, had researched 125 women um, over two years about what they, uh, about their role as women in the family and Christians and God's design. And um, and they kind of all talked about being, a, you know, um, that being a mother and a wife was generally at odds with having career ambitions at this level. Um, so I think that's really interesting about her. I mean, I, I think that biography is very compelling. And I think that, you know, she, as as all public figures can, can potentially serve as models for others. But I also am a little wary of thinking of her as as a sort of type or a trope I think of her as very exceptional like she yeah you know, no, exactly is, like, yeah and and moreover you know like her appearance on and at this moment is a is is the result of a very concerted project right over the course of decades and then more recently over the course of months to position someone like her in this position to fill a very specific seat and so I don't think you know there's a there's a large project to open uh open up what Christian women are uh are capable of I right, think there's right, a right. very specific project very to specific. fill one specific seat yeah. on the Supreme Court and get power and position someone like her and groom someone like her I don't say that dismissively groom someone like her to be in a position to take that seat and yeah really I mean I don't on. I don't mean to make it sound like ne- it is a new era of like we're sure. gonna see a bunch of women like th- that is what's what's really kind of shocking about the whole thing is that she's such an exception um, to, in what this piece ha- basically lays out as the rule, which is that generally you be, you take motherhood and wifehood as your central duty, and those are at odds with career ambitions. And that and there's reg- there's a bunch of quotes from pastors that are like, don't go to law school because why would someone want to be married to a lawyer? Like there's literally stuff like that um, in the in the research that I find, you know, fascinating upsetting um but let's talk about how we well, how we got here um uh i mean you, <laughs> judah you mentioned fascism um where like do you feel like this seat is being stolen and you know what are your thoughts on this this whole process. Well, I've said this before, you know, because initially, uh, you know, several years ago, Justice Scalia passed away and the previous administration was going to put in Merrick Garland. That got blocked. And then two other seats uh, were filled. And now this one, Um, I think they should have just kept Scalia. I, uh, (laughs) I don't think they should have let death get in the way of his ability to interpret the constitution. Um, you know, they have those big puffy robes. They could have just sat them up there. You know, a new vote comes in. Maybe, you know, should gay marriage uh, stay legal, you know? Yeah. And then Sotomayor could like, you know, put her arm behind his back and be like, yep, yep. Uh, he'll, he'll give a yes on that. So, um, but, you know, it's... Uh, a nice, a weekend of Bur- a weekend at Bernie's SCOTUS edition. Uh, basically, yeah. Um you know, it's uh, I, I think this a couple really scary things, uh, you know, happened yesterday when uh, uh, she was asked flat out, you know, um, can a president uh, delay an election? Um, 
can, um, you know, the president expects the Supreme Court to, uh, you know, basically decide the election for him. And, you know, she dodged both those questions. Yeah. Um, and even you know, this these morning, things aren't legal. Dodging. The president's not allowed to do that. Um, and she wouldn't answer that. So I think it's, uh, you know, I, th- I think the country's at a, at a terrifying uh, point in, in its history right now. Can I say, though, Judah, one thing about about the country being a terrifying point? I am a little less terrified by this particular point because I think we already got here with the nomination and confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh. You know, we already had a conservative majority. So I sort of I mean, yes, in terms of the the election vote, it is worse, blah, blah, blah. But like it, but in terms of the, like the long term effects of the of a Supreme Court, we already had a conservative majority, so we were already sort of living in that. Yeah. Um, oh, but this pushes the this pushes the the center, so to speak, of the court so far to the right. I mean, you have to keep it in the context of Merrick Garland. Sure. Not yeah. Just yeah. I mean, yeah. no, I totally Kavanaugh, get it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I I join everyone in their terror, but like, yeah, yeah. I, but but I think my terror just sort of already. St- I think maybe I've just been living with the terror for like, yeah. first you know. For, for how long has Brett Kavanaugh been? Forty-five years? I don't know. Yeah. It feels like forever ago. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing that I, I think I thought was really like, like, let's just talk about originalism for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that uh, quote in English that means that I interpret the Constitution as a law and that I interpret its text as text and I understand it to have the meaning that it had at the time people ratified it. So that meaning doesn't change over time, and it's not up to me to update it or infuse my own policy views into it. And then you know she was asked about does she own a gun and stuff like that and her her views on um, guns. Uh, and it's weird to be an originalist and be asked a question about a gun because at the time it was about muskets, right? <laughs> and right. so um, she's just as a person able to like, obviously as a person, it's not like she's fucking churning butter. She's already like moved beyond the time the constitution was ratified. So I just think originalism is one of those just super odd things that it, it, you have to compartmentalize so deeply to make that work. Um, thoughts on originalism? I mean, not only that, um, but also I think that what we're seeing, uh, you know, this week, and I think in general we see around originalist arguments is often it's a, it's originalism around a very particular part of the Constitution, and you rarely hear originalists talk about the amendments to the constitution that expanded rights and that pushed in a progressive uh, direction. You know, those were written into the constitution. Those are part of the text, but you know, right. usually when you hear people cloak themselves in a, in originalism, it's about, you know, the words that were consecrated at, right off the bat, as opposed to the fact that it has expanded and the constitution is the constitution now. And it has all sorts of other kind of more expansive uh, rights written into it. Yeah. Like the word slavery, just full kind of essentially, rips to shred the idea that originalism makes sense at all, you know? Um, I mean, because also the, yeah, because the, because it's a slippery slope, which, so which amendments are you into, which, how many years after the original do you go beyond? Like it's, I I just, it's, it just seems crazy to me, Judah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think they're being quite honest with what they mean. You know, they, they want, uh, you know, our, our our government has had minority rule uh, 
that's pretty much been the standard. You, you know, it's uh, land-owning, wealthy white men who wrote the laws initially, slave-owning men who wrote the laws. That's who wrote the Constitution. Those are the founding fathers. They're, they're slave owners. And uh, if you look at our current uh, country, you know, it's 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 a you know like you know like people talk about uh oh trump uh, oh they're gonna get him uh the 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 you know new york's uh the the attorney general they're gonna get him after the election it's like he's been a criminal his whole life they 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 haven't really gotten him you know so the the laws are written by you know the powerful few uh to protect them at the detriment to everyone else so so these originalists i i i i think they're being uh, quite honest in in what yep. they want. They they don't want anyone besides them to have any power, to have any rights. Um, you know that they uh, one of the uh, Republican um, uh, elected officials, I forget who it was, just the other day said, "We're not a democracy. We're a republic." Saying that democracy is not something that they even want. You know, they're they're being, you know, they're right. being they're flaunting a little more than they normally do. Right. And I mean, to to me, that is really the thing that's kind of, um, you know, like a real gut punch about the Coney Barrett hearings is that it does feel like in so many ways, just everything laid bare and everything out in the open about the kind of power grab that has defined the Trump era. And you have, you know, the I don't even call what Lindsey Graham has done hypocrisy. I mean, I call what he's done as just kind of like bald faced telling you that he should never believe anything he says ever again. That's not hypocrisy. And 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 he, and that he is perfectly willing to just do anything in the sake of for the sake of power. And that, I think, is what this moment is really laying bare. I mean, you know, the Trump Trump himself is really bad at not sort of showing his hand, right? He just says everything out loud. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and Republicans have generally Terrible been pretty good. Face. Yeah, and Republicans have generally been pretty good about hiding it, right? Until this moment. And in this moment, they've had no choice but to basically say, yes, our project is to grab power. You know, I think there's a reasonable case to say our project is to uh, consecrate minority rule. And this Supreme Court seat is absolutely oh, a part way of to that, do that. And yeah. we will compromise a lot of other things that we've sort of valued over the years or said we valued over the years for that. And they've been forced in a very Trumpian way to just kind of like say the Be quiet honest. part out loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, and Judah? The thing that scares me about that is that I think, now I could be wrong here. I'm not a prediction person, but I, I think it's likely that um, they know they're going to get away with stealing the election. And, uh, you know, I think they've done it before. This wouldn't mm. be the first time, you know. Um, so I, I think that's uh, – I mean, it's hard to say what it is. You know, are they on their – are they, do they know they're on their last legs and uh, so they're just going all out now and they don't care about hiding it? Um, or do they know they're going to get it? You know, I don't know. Well, what do you I think? think right. I, I mean, I think that it's – that there's a – We'll we'll talk about this in the last, next segment, but you know the the polls are not showing very well for the for a lot of Republican Senate seats, and also for I mean obviously for Donnie. So this could just be like, fuck it, let's try and get this woman in, and um and then like and at least we'll have that, yeah, you yeah. know. And I think well, I think it's even a slightly more insidious, which is you know, um, Lindsey Graham, who really like. He's in a tight race. He's yeah, right. He's in a tight race. But I mean, I just I don't know. I can't. I just Lindsey Graham has just 
I just can't think about the man right now, given what he's done, you know, in this situation. Um, But, you know, I think he if he loses, he will a year from now, two years from now, tell himself a story that it was worth it. And not only was it worth it, but that he was principled because he was able to get the. Comey Bear on the Supreme Court. Right. And he will right, justify right. to himself. Yeah. And I think there's a little not to, I don't like to do a ton of pop psychology, but I think there's a little bit of that going on with Republican electeds. That this is their last chance to kind of give themselves something that will ap- get you know, a, uh give themselves a story to tell themselves about what they did during the Trump years, um, in a couple of years, even if they get wiped off the electoral map, which could very well happen. By the way, um, People ask me a lot, like, what does this mean? Like, can the Democrats do anything? And actually, they can't really. They can delay the vote, I think, by right. about one week. Um, and uh, but the but that won't take it till after the election. We re- would really need some Republicans to come on board with with delaying. I, I think the, they the should vote. still delay. I, I think they should pull out every trick anything they have they can. But Judah, yeah. what do you make of the argument that they should let this go forward because at this point the best. Uh, the best way to hold Republicans accountable is in the election, and and if you just get Democrats as mad as possible and up in arms as possible, you have the yeah, chance of you know harder it, pushback. You know, I mean, we'll know in uh, in a few weeks or a few months, depending on how yeah. it goes. Uh, you know, if that strategy will work, I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm not a uh, a strategy prediction person. I could see it working. I can see it failing, and. Uh, so I, I, I just don't I know. know. And we're also so scarred by 2016 yeah. that no one can tell anything anymore ever. And we're also so scarred by like fucking Facebook and Twitter and just the rhetoric and and presidential nominees yelling at each other on television. And ju- I mean, we're scarred. Um you know, rallies where the where the where a chant is lock her up or Nazis um, proud being supported at the highest levels. I mean, there's so many things that have left us left us scarred. So I don't think any no one wants to make a prediction because our predictions have been um, real shit in the past. You know, I think uh, the, the result in 2016 didn't surprise me. I, I didn't. You know, I I thought Trump had a, a very good chance of winning, um, and uh, and when it comes to this election, you know, the Republicans only need to do enough cheating, stealing, and voter suppression in a few states. They don't. That's what people. Don't, I think a lot of people don't realize they don't have to cheat in every state. They can they can cheat enough in Focus five states. They're cheating. Yeah, you know, yeah. If it's More close in Michigan, cheating. if it's close in Florida, if it's close in Texas, Ohio, wherever. They're gonna. They're, they do enough cheating where they can do it. You know, unless there's a blowout, I, I, I think then they're gonna have trouble. Uh, you know, stealing it. So, anyways, I don't know. On that uplifting note, <laughs> let's take a quick break and hear about our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll get into other discussions. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for 
my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there, and you know what? You can update it with an app, so every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, Um, Like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, The other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, And this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness for like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies Pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives, which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it. Just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash 
fake the nation um, will be taken off. That's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door, and then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple, and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan, set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. <laughs> so they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. There are no fuss, no mess meals. Um, they eliminate the hassle of having to prep. They're tailored to your schedule. Um, you can customize your weekly meals uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've, pa I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 and use the code fake the nation 50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code fake the nation 50 at factormeals.com slash fake the nation 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. And we are ready for topic number two. So Donnie tweets that New York and Illinois are going to hell. He says no more stimu stimulus negotiation. And then he says yes to that negotiation. He withdraws from debates where he would have had the chance to speak in front of millions, which he may not realize is more than the number of people who go to his rallies. Um, and through it all, he's a rather unpleasant person. So my question is, <laughs> um, is Donnie like pissing away this election? <laughs> He's a really bad politician. I mean, I don't think like, <laughs> he, really he really is, is you know, um, I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone really out there who who at this point can make any case that he's a sort of master manipulator or anything. I mean, he's yeah, he's a really bad politician. He can't stay focused on um, 
on a particular issue. He can't sort of take advantage, as you've said, of 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 an advantage. Um, you know, and I think that one of the lessons of 2016 that we're realizing in retrospect was just how powerful running against Hillary Clinton was for him and his base and how much, you know, specific hatred of Clinton and um, misogyny in general was a huge element in that election so that for all the bad politicianing he was doing, it still kept popping up as a salient issue and he was still able to ride that wave and he just doesn't have that now. And so, you know, well, and, he also, and he also has a four-year track record, uh, which, you know, I, I mean, I'm a believer that we knew everything we needed to know about Donald Trump in 2016, but nevertheless, I will also acknowledge that he has been president for four years and it has not gone that well either. Right. <laughs> So, and I also want to point out that he's really tried to bring Hillary Clinton back as the nemesis, even though he's not oh, running yeah. against Hillary Clinton, by getting Bill Barr to release his uh, her emails, which he's agreed to. So, which which I think is sort of I don't know how it's played out in conservative media, but it's sort of been just a blip in mainstream media because nobody cares about what a suburban woman in you know um, what's the name Chip. What Chippequa? What's the Chappaqua. name? Chappaqua. What is what some random suburban woman in Chappaqua has is doing? You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be of national concern, and it is in fact not of national concern. Um, uh, Judah, what do you think? Um, what what is? I, I'm I don't want to lose track of what the original question was. I'm sort of uh, I know just the, just that is uh, well. I'll, let me actually read to you this little passage. Rich Lowry, the conservative commentator and writer, he wrote: "If the existence of the country itself is on the ballot, why not prepare better for debates? Why not use Twitter exclusively for messages that advance his cause rather than detract from them? Why waste any time on petty animosities and distractions? Why not write down a health care plan and a COVID?" 19 plan to blunt Biden's most potent issues. Um, Rich Lowry is basically like, why is this guy pissing away the election? He's a conservative commentator. Um, Judah, what do you think? Oh, and he's saying that Trump is basically throwing it away. Yeah. Not like, being why a good doesn't politician. he try at all? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a good point. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's probably, you know, even if you look at the pandemic, you know, instead of trying to ignore it, and spending all this effort calling it a hoax and all that stuff, you know, and, and you know, they, the Republicans like to tout themselves as experts on the economy. If they actually would have focused on science and actually try to go with science, then um, there would be less spread of disease and then the economy would be doing better. That actually right. would have taken less work than trying to ignore it and trying to get people to think it's not real. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think that goes back to, you know, you know, a lot of criminals and scam artists uh, like Trump, they've, they've never done things honestly and well. They mm -hmm. always look for the scam. They don't look for, oh, what's the, uh, the straight up, uh, proper way to do this. They always look, all right, how can we rip people off? How can we deceive people? So I, I think that's one of the reasons where we are. So so even when it comes up to coming up with a health plan, that's not what he does. He's a scam artist. He's not someone who makes things better for people. He's someone who scams them to make himself look good. So he's you know, he, he like he, like he keeps saying, oh, he's coming out with this great plan. He's got this great plan. He's been saying that for years. He, they don't have a plan, you know. Right. So, but I I say to people, and I said this four four or five years ago, do not underestimate the power 
the unfortunate power of racism and sexism. And I think in 2016, you had both because, you know, Hillary winning, that would that's that that goes on Obama's legacy. That's part of his legacy because mm-hmm. uh, they, they work together and, and he endorsed her and campaigned for her. And, you know, Obama winning is probably it's one of the main reasons Trump ran, I think. So mm. um, so w- with Hillary, there was there was the sexism. There was the racism. And that stuff is uh, still there. <laughs> so <laughs> don't estimate, don't well, underestimate that. There's a lot of people in the middle, you know, who just, oh, we just want to get back to normal. You know, um, I, I think there's a lot of people on the left and, and a lot of, uh, you know, people who aren't white and people who aren't who aren't as high income who don't want to go back to normal. The normal was terrible. It already was terrible. It wasn't working. Too many people are oppressed. Um, so, so if you look at the people on the right, the, if, say the people on the right, the, 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 bigoted, uh, of, of the far right, um, uh, and, and the, and the racists and the white supremacists, they think that, that the white race, if they think, if there's a lot of people who think the white race is under attack, uh, and, and that their whole power is under attack, that they're fighting for survival, uh, you know, it's a completely evil and twisted, warped way to look at it. But I think that's how a fair amount of people or more than four, maybe 40% of the people are looking at it. So they're incredibly motivated. So, uh, but I think there are so many people who are so um, scared and hateful of, of the current administration and how they're doing things that they are incredibly motivated to. But I, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't have no idea what's going to happen with the election. I don't, I don't know. Right. Well, you you don't even have to be that motivated, like, to be so anti the administration. I think you're I think a lot of people are just tired of noise and they want to go back to when most people didn't talk about the president every day. Like, you know, because in my life before this, there were many days (laughs) of a week where I would not mention Obama's name, like right in my own head or in conversation. Like it just and no offense to Obama. It's just that he didn't fucking come up. You know what I mean? But if you were part of a of a Tea Party Facebook group, you know, then you would came up every you know, day. I mean, sure. I think that there's, I think part of what we're both getting at is that, you know, the Republican Party, I think, has been a party that has structured itself over the last 20 years to run on grievance. And it's really hard to run on grievance when you are on the out, when you are in power, right? Right, right, right. Power. Well, and, it, and, yeah, and in the Bush, I mean, it's interesting though, because even in the Bush administration, and I was younger and shit then, but like, I still didn't. I was against that administration. I marched right in mm-hmm. in anti-war marches and stuff like that, but I still didn't talk about it. All no, time. yeah, for sure, you know for I mean? sure. I mean, I think this is like going next to be calmer level. And there are and there are people. This who is, want yeah, that, I think the sure. Tea Party wasn't under the, uh, under this much stress during Obama. You know what I mean? Yeah. I still don't. I get, this is like next level shit that we've been experiencing. Judah, tell me what you like. You mentioned that the election could take months. I want to talk about election day slash week slash months. Um, what, how do you think that's going to play out? I mean, I, I have no idea um, because, you know, if it's close in some states, which it probably will be, uh, the Republicans, I think, will will never concede. They will contest everything. And um, I think many Democrats uh, won't be won't fight hard enough, as they've, in my opinion, they've shown in the past <laughs> when uh, 
I mean, if you look at 2000 and, and how that turned out. Uh, so I just, I, I can see this going on for months, you know, and, uh, you know, when, when, when the majority of states are governed by uh, Republicans, um, it's, that's going to be hard to uh, stop them from cheating, you know, and uh, are the Democrats going to fight hard enough? I, I, I think in general, they don't, they don't fight as viciously and nastily as um, these uh, far right Republicans do. So, and well, I Republicans mean, Biden in- now has like the largest legal team um, for for this exact great post election that has great. ever been assembled in the history of that kind of legal great. team. Great, that yeah. includes former solicitor generals and all this, like the fanciest right. fucking people. So, right. um, of course, um, and so I think there's a there is an indication that they will fight hard, very, very hard. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I, I I think one of the that's a great point you bring up, and um, I, I I think I'm just thinking now. One of the things that might actually help the Democrats win is Republicans who don't like the current administration. You know, I mean, I mean, look at the Lincoln Project. You know, uh, look at these other organizations that are that are right wing organizations that are fighting, uh, that are doing all the negative ads against Trump. You know, I don't. I, I've seen. None or very little of that from the Democratic Party. But uh, but that's interesting. You know, that, you know, with with the Republicans uh, teaming up with Democrats, uh, the anti-Trump Republicans teaming up with Democrats. You know, that that maybe maybe that's going to be enough. You know, I don't know. And independence. Right. Because a lot of independents are like, this is garbage and on and like not at all fun. You know, and so some of those guys voted for fucking Jill Stein last time, you know, and maybe they'll some of those guys voted for who was that guy um, in the for the Libertarian Party? Oh, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. Yeah. Who was well, Gary like, Johnson. What's in I Aleppo? think. I think, na- yeah, I think nationally, Gary Johnson got double the votes uh, Jill Stein did. So if you look at 2016, I mean, you can check the facts. I might be wrong on this. But if you look at 2016, I mean, Gary Johnson probably took more votes away from Trump than Jill Stein did against uh, against uh, Clinton. But, um, uh, yeah, with the left, it's interesting. It's I don't, you know, and, and the left is there's all different types of the left. And I'm I'm not talking democrats i'm talking people who are who are left leftists and uh i i think there's uh a fair amount who who don't like biden but strategy wise they would much rather um fight against uh you know for what they want against a biden administration than a trump administration um yeah you know i mean mean, that's something like noam chomsky's been talking about noam chomsky's saying you have to vote out trump you can't you know, don't don't fight against. It's much better to fight against, uh, you know, the current Democratic Party than authoritarians and fascists. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. there's and still it, a, there's still a lot on the left who, um, you know, they're still upset at the Democratic Party, uh, and and it's almost like, I, you know, I think some are being vindictive and are still not going to vote uh, for Democrat. I I think most probably will. But I, I think there's still a lot. That well, won't. I have I have a few really, really hardcore Bernie bro friends. Yeah. Um, And they have told me that they're going to vote for Biden. 
Yeah, and this yeah. was th- it's actually shocking because yeah. and their and their tune changed from like literally January to now, right? The pandemic mm. has changed their tune. Right. Like the economic crisis has changed their tune. Like they're like, oh, okay. I mean, I can be a principled Bernie bro, like until the, you know, cows come home. But like, it doesn't make any sense for me to vote again, you know, to vote for someone yeah. other than Biden. Well, I think Trump is so bad at this and so, and so, you know, hated that I think that he will galvanize a lot of people on the left. But I think, you know, the other interesting thing that's emerging is, you know, you're you're both talking about the coalition that needs to get built and all the fighting that's going to happen around the margins. And I think there's the other the I think the the place where I think there's an interesting conversation and one that may actually have long term effects is an understanding of that margin does not exist at. 50%. That margin exists at 58%, right? For Democrats to win in this country and and for this to be an election that is not in question, it needs to be, you know, f- 5 or 6 points the popular vote uh win by by Biden. And I think like people are starting to really recognize that. And this may be one of those elections that really brings up some of those big structural issues for people. Um if it's within five points, I think we're going to end up in this shitstorm that you're describing. But if it's, but there's a chance that it's more than five points, uh, and and God, I'm I'm going to rue these words, but like both, you know, Trump loses, and it still galvanizes that big conversation of wait, why did it take this much to win this? Yeah, <laughs> right, um, right, right. And I, and I think. People need to start asking those questions. I think the Trump era is one in which people are asking those questions about the Electoral College, about campaign finance, about the Supreme Court. You know, these we've talked about this on the show before, like these big structural things. People are starting to see the matrix a little bit. And, um, you know, I hope that that is the maybe the long term silver lining from all of this. Yeah. And I've been talking about, it's inter- yeah, I, I mean, obviously I've been talking about the electoral college since fucking 2016. And I've been in, and I mean, and also since I was in high school and I was like, I don't understand why we would do it this way. Literally. I was like, a, blast fr- like a child. School. And yeah. I was like, this is fucking ridiculous guys. Um, and then, but I've also been talking about the national voter, uh, the national popular vote interstate contract um, where, where states would, would agree to, to throw their electoral votes with a popular vote. And we've got a, certain number of states. I mean, we could reach that 270 vote threshold through that compact. Um, you know, there's there's mechanisms, right? That they don't always they don't all um speak to uh the amending the constitution, right? Um, well, can I, can I, I just add one thing there? I mean, yes. in in 1970, Congress came within 5 votes. The Senate came within 5 votes of overturning the electoral college. Um there have not always been 9 justices in the Supreme Court. You know, there were eight a while ago. There have been more in the past. Like, these are just things that human beings get together and make up. And I think people are starting to realize that these are (laughs) not like, you know, these are... That, and so maybe there's we can start to ask those questions. Yeah, it's it's sort of like we all decided to do VHS, but we could have done beta. You know what I mean? It doesn't. We just just it wasn't a like a rational. It's just we all just did that. You know what I mean? And so I think that's what we can do again. Like let's just make a decision. Um, now I want to say something very hopeful that I was reading about today, which is that. There is a shitload of states. You know, this could take forever and we should definitely um, be prepared for that. And I've been doing a lot of work at, uh, that I for the campaigns, for the just nationally, for the Democratic position. I can't be re- more specific than that, um, that uh, on um, I've been working on the elections. But then also um, one of the things that we've learned about is that this this notion that there's going to be some sort of civil unrest or whatever at Election Day 
um, and around that time is sort of seeping into the mainstream. And I just I just want to say, like, why is that seeping into the mainstream? Folks, let's snap out of it. Utah has been voting mail-in balloting, and it is a conservative state. They've been doing it since 2012. Nothing's, like, nothing, there's nothing of note that has happened there. They've been doing it really calmly, and then they go skiing. You know what I mean? It's just, it's gonna, it's fine. Like, if it takes a little bit longer, it's fine. We've handled mail-in ballots. It's fine. Um, we, we've been, we've, uh, soldiers overseas have been doing mail-in ballots from forever ago, and it's been fine. So we know how to do mail-in ballots. There shouldn't be this, like, we shouldn't be sitting, like, waiting to just jump up. And I mean, you know, I don't I don't think it's um, Democrats that want to do anything but peaceful marching. But I mean, there are people, obviously, um, violent opportunists, right, um, who, who sometimes take those situations into another direction. Um, but the other thing that I think is exciting is that um, is that, sorry, uh, Florida, Arizona, um, are, are states where we could have early results because they have already been counting, right? They, be, they begin processing ballots 22 days before an election in Florida. In Arizona, the process starts two weeks before an election. In North Carolina, they start processing ballots on September 29th. In Texas's large counties, they start processing 12 days before. Georgia, um, which didn't make mail-in voting possible to all voters, did allow the processing of ballots to begin two weeks um, in advance, right? Uh, and we've seen long lines in Georgia people voting early. Ohio started processing mail-in ballots last week. Um, I mean, there's a ton of states that are actually, and red states, that are actually processing votes. They're doing it early. I think um, you can steal elections, but it's very hard to coordinate out among 50 states to the stealing. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people have to get on board. And I even think, and you, you know, you hear someone like, um, the, the secretary of state of Ohio talk about running these elections. And he sounds just like a reasonable guy who has no interest, who is maybe also himself fucking tired of Trump. I don't know if he is or not, but like we know Kasich is right. So, there's, like you said, with the help of Republicans and keep in mind that Republicans are that some of these types of Republicans are in charge of the election apparatus of some of these red states who are just like, this is exhausting, you know, um, and that I think is so hopeful uh, that we are able to process votes earlier than we've ever been been doing. Um, and also, I, I want to point out, I don't like talking about polls, but Biden is really up in the polls and people are yeah. using the L word, which is landslide. Um, do either of you allow yourselves to let that word enter your head at all? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I, like I said, I'm not someone who predicts stuff. I, I, I can envision any scenario happening. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I can see it happening anyway. If, um, if, if the, the current regime is served a, a a landslide defeat of them. That would that would be great. You know, I, I, that would be the best outcome because that would be a strong message that um, people don't like what they're doing. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm I I tend to agree. I think you have to keep you have to be honest about where we stand right now. Where we stand is Biden is up by 
a, a considerable amount, more than basically anyone, any challenger um, at this point. Um, but, you know, one in eight, which is kind of where 538 has it right now, one in eight is one in eight, you know? Yeah, yeah it's that, still that, a chance. Like, it's still a chance. You know, like um, Kawhi Leonard misses a free throw one out of eight times, right? Would you like set your hair on fire when that happens? No, like it, the, those things happen. But that said, I think you have to all have to be, I think part of the like being... Um, wary of making predictions is also being honest about where things stand. And right now, Biden is up by a lot and is pushed past that margin that we've talked about, that 5.7 point buffer where the structural issues start to make it closer than it actually is. Um, and if he can stay there, um, you know, and that's where I think, Judah, like, you know, your point about some of the, uh, you know, the, the people call it stealing, some of the shenanigans that happen. I mean, those happen when it's close in one or two places. But if it's not close in st- eight places, it's very hard to coordinate whether organically or concertedly to to make that happen. And so I think, you know, liberals just have to hope that it's pushed past that margin for error. um, And there's no question in the way that you describe. Um, I think now is a good time for us to move into our next segment, which is a little mini segment between topics where I highlight races to watch. Um, I started that in like a higher key than I normally do, so I couldn't fucking hit the note, guys. Jesus Christ. First, I want to just point out it's going to be Amazon Prime Day um, one of these days, uh, but also fuck Amazon Prime Day. Everyone knows how I feel about Amazon. Do not fucking support that monopolistic motherfucker. Don't support it. All right, that was just a me. That's not a race to watch. Um, Three Green Legos on Twitter wants us to look at the Alaska Senate seat that's up for grabs. It's an interesting state because it's got more independent voters than any state. So Democrats have a real chance there with the candidate Al Gross. He's a doctor and a fisherman with money of his own to spend on the campaign as he tries to unseat Dan Sullivan. So look at that. So look at Al Gross in Alaska. Tara says for us to look at Adrian Perkins running for the Senate in Louisiana, vying to become the first black senator to represent Louisiana since, wait for it, 1887. Holy shit. Um, Matthew wants us to ha- ha- it wants us to highlight Abigail Spanberger's race in Virginia's 7th District. And I want to point out something um, that's uh, a election-related, a thousand facets, which is a jewelry company um, that follows us here at Fake the Nation, is launching... Um, you know, an election giveaway where 15 winners will be chosen and the prize will be a piece of handcrafted jewelry from an independent designer. Some really beautiful stuff if you look at their Instagram. Um, for a chance to win, all the participants have to do is um, send a photo proving they voted by emailing it to atfvote at gmail.com. That's atfvote at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, I th- it, it looks uh, a thousand facets is trying to make democracy fun um, and be jeweled. So, uh, so get into it. Um, Um, let us now move on to topic number three. So the SATs, um, the, and it's, uh, sorry, let me start that over. The College Board and its main gig, the SATs, is in trouble for a variety of reasons that are all coming under scrutiny because about one million students have been trying to take the SATs, um, but the test has been canceled several times. uh, And obviously because of the pandemic, um, they've been the hallmark of college applications. um, And uh, I guess my, my first question is, knowing what, you know, what they mean in college applications, does the college board have a responsibility to just shut it down? Uh, what do you guys think? I, um, you know, as someone who, um, as a student was never <laughs> a fan of the SATs. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, me neither. 
Now, I can't say, so I, I'm a little biased here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't really know enough about the uh, infrastructure uh, and design of the SATs. I've certainly read many things about how they are uh, biased and bigoted in certain ways. And if yeah. that's the case, and if it's still the case, uh, yep. yeah, maybe it should be like the police, abolish it. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's... Um, SATs are definitely something I try to forget ever happened in my life. I, I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't remember what my score was. I know it it wasn't horrendous, but I know it would not be anything that you would, uh, uh, you know, braggingly say to anybody. Um, I, I think, <laughs> it, was, you, I think it was on the lowish. What's that? <laughs> did you hide it from people? No, no. It just literally, like, I don't remember what I got. I, I know it was like... I think it was at a level where it's not something you couldn't brag about that score at all. Right. But it wasn't but you like were, so low. You didn't have low. to be humiliated. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But it yeah. wasn't so low that you were like, wow, I better not tell anybody this. You was, don't remember it in either direction, right? It's, no. It was, it, was, it was unmemorable. It, it was, it was, uh, and I remember I, I, I had to take a, I got sent to a SAT prep class, like yeah, after Yeah, yeah, me too. And I still didn't, uh, do that well on it. Yeah. yeah. I um, Well, I mean, yeah. that's where my head goes with, with these kinds of conversations is, you know, I think I was told and then I've certainly come to realize that, you know, most of these standardized tests test your ability to take a test, right? Yeah. And so then the question becomes who has the resources, both who, who sort of lives within a structure and who has the specific resources to position themselves well to know how to take a test and that's where a lot of the disparities come in and the mm. structural inequalities and so forth come in so you know as a test itself as a standardized like i'm not against standardized metrics but you know what are the systems that go into the performance of that um are the, is the real question i mean so you know if we get rid of the sat that's not going to get rid of all the reasons that some students are not positioned to right. do it's well like on standardized tests. Right, it's like a get rid of inequality. Yeah. yeah, and so, I mean, you know, and I, and I know this is sort of a cliche thing, but it's like, well, if you get rid of it, what are you going to replace it with? Well, chances are, if we just replace it with something else, it'll be something that still serves basically as a proxy for inequality. Mm. Um, and so then we, we're left where we, where we still are. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it would have to sort of be replaced with so something that's, Free. I mean, that's like thing number one, yeah. right? Like a thing that costs money immediately um, sure. disenfranchises certain people, right? Because they can't afford it. And of course, there's scholarships, and a lot of people can take it for free. And da, 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 da. but like you know, it, it it by just that very first hurdle makes it difficult. Yes, Judah. Question: Do people have to pay to take the SAT? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, terrible. You do. That's bad. Yeah, that's you have to pay to take the SAT. I didn't even know but that. they do they, they they do make it free for people, you know, who can't afford it. But it I think but again, it's like it should just be free. Yeah. It should just be free. Um and then I think the other thing that's you know, my relationship with the SATs is also very similar, Judah, because my SAT score, I'd say it was probably good, but I never shared it with anyone because it wasn't fantastic. And I was trying to go to Ivy League schools. I did, in fact, go to Ivy League schools. And I was a real fucking straight up nerd bomb who was also extremely overachieving and very amb ambitious academically. And so for me not to have a 1600 was just an embarrassment. Wow. And so 
And so I walked around with that pressure on my shoulders. And I think the SATs is a fucking mental game. Like if I had ashwagandha, you know, when I was in high school, maybe I could have just calmed the fuck down and taken a good test, right? It was like all the other tests I did fine at. That one test, you know, though, made me so crazy because I wanted so desperately to go to certain um, schools. And it felt like everything was writing on that test for me to go to those school, the schools of my dreams. And I was an immigrant kid and all I did was self-flagellate, right? Um, And so I think in that sense, like the tests are ridiculous because I don't know. They're testing something about your ability to just stay calm during a test like that. And it's not. And then beyond that, there is the baked in bigotry of the test. um, And that, you know, the, the data that comes out of the college board shows that black and brown students score lower on both the SAT and the AP. Exams, which they also run, um, than do white students, and it's not be- obviously because of any, you know, um, lack of intelligence. There's because there's, cult- I mean, there's they always give the example of um, what's that fucking sport that's like a n- northeastern, like regatta and shit like that. Um, there's like these things that are on the SATs that emphasize a sort of northeastern liberal elite. Um, and even like me in, in California wouldn't know what, what that was, you know, um, or or um, what's that lacrosse? Like, I wouldn't know about that um, from but what like the questions are like um, so and so starts starts. Um, Billy and Bobby get into their yachts at the same time. Yeah. But the one of them, it's like, it's, it's like, like that. That's essentially, yeah, there's examples of, uh, of that where the, ex- where the thing is such an elitist thing that like a kid, you know, in a, in a, from a lower income background or let's say an immigrant kid or whatever, wouldn't know what that is, you know? So they would may- maybe get the question wrong. Um, so there's those, those elements baked in, um, I want to point out, though, the pandemic, again, has just like exacerbated their issue because now 500 colleges, including the Ivy League, have joined to a test optional movement. And a growing number of colleges are just becoming test blind, like we don't care if yeah. you have a test score or not. Uh, do you um, – I mean, do you think – and it sounds like they're doing that obviously without something replacing it. It's just like now this is how we're doing it. Uh, do you think this is a movement that's going to have legs after the pandemic? I think it could. I remember, you know, my brother, he went to a college that I think did not look at the SATs because, and this was back in the 80s. And it was because they 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 thought it was like, all right, that's kind of like what you're saying. Like, that's that's a test. There are some people who study just to take the test. You know, their 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 whole education is to do well on that test. That doesn't mean they're yeah. getting a a full rounded education. You know, it doesn't right. it, it it's it's you know, it's it's such a thing. You know, there's books about it, how to take the SATs and all all the, you know, it's a whole industry on how to score well at the SATs. That doesn't equal good education. That doesn't equal knowledge. That doesn't uh necessarily mean critical thinking. Um so yeah, I remember the school my brother looked at. This is in the '80s. I think they didn't, and it was like a good school, and they they didn't look at the uh, SATs. They looked at you know your your full uh, perspective Oeuvre. as a student and as a person. So I I can see that happening. Yeah, I mean, I suspect it will just um, uh, require a little more work to get to know people um, in order to make those decisions. I think SAT scores are often used to just sort of like 
dismiss a whole group of people or take a whole group of people. I will say, though, I mean, I don't know if I fully believe what I'm about to say, but I will say that, like, a lot of life is like an artificial system that you have to learn how to navigate. And so an SAT test that is an artificial test that has its own rules and you have to learn how to take the test and it's testing your ability to take the test. Well, a lot of the real world is that way too. It's kind of like, for better or worse, you know, do you know how to play this game and have you figured out the secrets to how to play this game? So like, again, I'm not totally against the idea that like we should have artificial standardized things too, but it's just about who has access and who has the ability to get good at those things. Right. And I mean, look, it doesn't mean that like the regions tests, whatever. And I don't, that I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. The New York regions tests, whatever those are. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that those won't still, like, I mean, a lot of state level curriculum has these like tests. I mean, but they're free. So they're, that's different. And they're part of like your public education. So that's also, um, that's also different. You know, um, I'm starting mm-hmm. to think we should have more standardized tests. I mean, Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at both of you, both podcasters. You all took the podcasting exam before you got your shows. I got um, a sixteen hundred on the podcasting. Yeah, exam. I I failed the podcasting exam. That's why I don't have a podcast. <laughs> I, that's why you're only a stand up comedian. Yeah, that that's why. I, I mean, I can be a guest. You know, I did well enough where I can be a guest, but I didn't do well enough where I can host my own show. So, so I I, I think both of you are right. I think, um, you know, but but yeah, no, I, I think Jody, that's a very interesting new point. A point you brought up about, um, you know, everything is almost something you have to specifically prepare for, and right. and I you can I think you can make that argument for school. I, I mean, I hated school. I looked at school like, uh, you know, my my attitude was like I've been given a prison sentence. Uh, do behavior. Uh, try not to get it extended, and and then just get the fuck out. You know that that's how I looked at school. <laughs> what I hated about school, at least with you know not all of it, but the majority of the schooling I had was how it just wanted you to memorize facts mm-hmm. or, or what they say are facts, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, remember dates, remember this, remember that. They, I remember being in English class, and you'd have to read a book, and then you have to summarize what happened in the book, and then you would read some literary critics, what they thought about the book, and then you would write about what they thought about the book. They never asked what you thought about the book. So it, it, it's almost like they, they, didn't, they didn't want you to think. They didn't want you to think for yourselves. They just wanted you to remember shit. And, uh, and to me, it seems like, the, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I, I, don't, I don't know what the SATs are like now. But back then, it, just was, it was just like memorizing a, memorizing a the bunch SATs of shit. The SATs now yeah. are all just like regattas and lacrosse, <laughs> <laughs> just like the rules of tennis and golf. Um, no, I, um, I also want to point out one thing that I didn't realize, which was that the, um, the first SAT was given in 1926 and it was designed by a princess, Princeton psychologist named Carl Brigham, who was a, you like an avid supporter of eugenics, which I thought was a real sad, um, point. But I also want to say that they also run the AP exams and I did, I took a shitload of AP exams when I was in high school and I did very well on them. And so I walked into college with a whole bunch of college credits because I had T- taken so many AP exams. And so weirdly going, like if, if, you know, if I had, 
Like I would be like, no, no, but save the AP exams, which I know are still an elitist. There's also issues with the AP exam. Like I recognize that. Um, but though I thought it was really fantastic that I got to walk into college with so many credits. Are you, uh, wait, so, did you say the SATs started in 1926? Yeah, the first test was given uh-huh. in 1926. And the Great Depression was just a few years later. So I think we can make the argument the SATs hey. started the Great Depression, <laughs> abolished the SATs. I think that's clear. That's, I think that's, that's clear. That's the kind of critical reasoning that the SAT is there to... Uh, is not to encouraging. Is not encouraging. Exactly right, exactly. Flawless critical thinking in theory there. Yeah. Hey, listeners, let me know what you guys think of the SATs. Should it just be shut down? Um, uh, Judah and um, Jody. Judah and Jody. Jody and Judah. Uh, that is the end of the show. My question to panelists at the end of these shows has been, what is making you feel hopeful? Because here at, at Fake the Nation, I don't know if you know, we're only doing optimism. We oh, even have right? a t-shirt available, merch available at potswag.com slash fake. Um, a t-shirt that says we're only doing optimism. Uh, and and people who have been volunteering to become poll workers and have been emailing about it are wearing their t-shirts to the polls. So, um, which makes me endlessly happy. So, um, what is making you hopeful and what is making you feel optimistic? Well, I've been feeling a lot of optimism about my pessimism. <laughs> um, and then sometimes people will yell at me saying, you shouldn't be a pessimist. That's not good. That doesn't lead anywhere. And then I'm like, well, now you're not being an optimist. You're the one. <laughs> I'm optimistic about my pessimism. <laughs> Um, His well, pessimism will lead somewhere. That that's a great question you bring up. Like, what what is um, giving you hope? And uh, you know, I look at oppressed peoples throughout the planet, throughout history, and you look at how hard and how long people have fought, and it's easy to get pessimistic about that. And and I often am. I probably mostly am. Um, but you can also look at it in a way as look at the fight in people. Look at how many people um, do want to get rid of the oppression and who do want to fight for it. And you look at the young people. The The, the country is getting uh, more and more diverse, which is fantastic. I don't know what's been taking so long, but uh, it is. And I think young people are more uh, politically aware, uh, every generation. Yes. And, and, and I think they're getting, uh, more progressive as well and, and more interested in human rights at a younger age. And I, that's, uh, that's so inspiring. Amen. Jody? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think my head goes to a lot of the same things that Judah was just talking about. I mean, I think that, look, what happens in the election will have a lot to say in terms of how we look at 2020, but I've become more and more convinced that 2020 is going to be a year that we look back on as a one of awakening and one in which people really, I think, got mobilized. And I think the big question is what's the follow through to that? But I'm, you know, I'm optimistic and I'm, 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 let's see, I'm heartened by that and I'm inching towards optimism. Uh, uh, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. As a panelist on Fake the Nation, you're required to just be optimistic. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> 
Um, I want to. Oh, so what's giving me optimism and hope this week is like I saw a clip um, of people standing in line to do early voting in Georgia. And oh, my God, these lines were so long. And they interviewed this woman who was holding a baby and an umbrella because it was raining. And she'd already been in line for a few hours. And they said, oh, I mean, are you going to leave because of the rain? And she's like, oh, no, I'm not going to leave. I was like, leave because you're holding a baby. And it's like such a nightmare to deal with a baby in that situation. But no, 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 no. She wasn't leaving. She was standing, you know, toughing it out. She probably had a bunch of squeezies, you know, in a compartment in the stroller that was going to make this whole thing work out. And she's my neighbor. And I mean that globally, like she's my American neighbor. She's on my block. She's in my community. These are people that want to see change, right? And they're out there standing in line for hours to make that change possible. They're doing it in the rain. They're doing it with a baby in their arms. How amazing are people, you guys? How amazing are American people? They're so fucking amazing. And that really gave this, the, this clip just said everything to me. Um, but I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to know where to find you and all the good works that you do. Jody, where do they find you? Um, well, my podcast, the, the podcast I'm doing now is called, is from Radiotopia, and it's called This Day in Esoteric Political History. Three times a week, we take a interesting moment from our political past and talk about what it means for today. Uh, so you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm also on Twitter, Jody African. And Judah, where do they find you? Uh, about three, four times a week, I'm doing my own stand-up shows where I do about a 90-minute set. Uh, it's interactive. I can, You can see and hear me. I can see and hear you if you want. Or you can watch it discreetly and have your camera off and have your mic off. Um, so I do about three or four of those a week. And I announce them on Twitter and Instagram, which is Judah World Champ. J-U-D-A-H World Champ And if you haven't seen my stand-up before Check out uh, my stand-up film on Netflix America is the greatest country in the United States And I'll just say quickly The shows that I'm doing are all new material None of it is stuff that's been released before Ugh, I can't wait to join you in one of your Zoom shows, Judah. That sounds so fun. Um, and I, you know where to find me and all the stuff that I do. And my latest op-ed is out in the progressive. And I was on last week's um, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So if you haven't listened to that episode, give it a nice download. Uh, and I don't know, I'm probably forgetting other things. But that's, um, those are some things. Uh, but I would really would like to do is thank the production team here at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Anita Flores our talented audio engineer Andy Kristen Scobby Alter Rotor theme music Lily Fleshler helps with research we love hearing from you so send us your feedback topics we should be chatting about guest ideas you think um, would be good for the show you can leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005 or drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com if you like what you hear please leave us a review at Fake the Nation uh, please leave a review for Fake the Nation on Stitcher follow us on Spotify subscribe on Apple Podcasts uh, leave us a review everywhere and um, because it really helps people find the show. All right, folks, thank you so much, and we'll be back in your earballs next week. 